Welcome to Property Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we give you access to all the strategies, tools, and tactics to become a successful property investor. Charlie, I don't know if I've ever told you, but we have an email list. What a shock. <gasps> Do you know where to find it? I actually don't. All right. I'll tell you. Write this down. Propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Newsletter. Forward slash newsletter. That's all you need to do. Go in there, put in your details, put in your email. And what I'll do, Charlie, is I will tell you every single time that we come out with an episode so you can write the email and send it out to the lovely people. I was going to say, I feel like I know my part. My job is to write the email and send it, not to get on the list. That's your job. (laughs) uh, Fine. I'll go to the list and I'll put in your details so then you're subscribed. Now, before we get started, let's cue your disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. Grant, the Disclaimer is probably important on this episode because we're going to go through some results in property in the last 12 months. And I would hate for anyone to listen to this episode, interpret the results we're about to go through, and then do silly things and then blame us. Totally. Which people probably would. So disclaimers are important. (laughs) Well, if they were to judge our investing ability by the intro of this podcast, they would know how seriously to take us. It's almost like the worse that we make the podcast, the less it'll make people want to invest. Like. (laughs) It's like, hey, the intro is terrible. <laughs> We're doing another roundup episode, the December roundup. We released this in January, though, so we'll call it the January roundup. I feel like we want to talk from the month we're in. Let's and this is actually my favorite roundup to do. Do you want to know why? Why, why, why? Annual results. Oh, yes, of course. I'm like, I looked at it. I'm like, yeah, of course. Look back at the year that was. It's always so fascinating to me when it comes to like the core logic report. The monthly data. Like, don't get me wrong, it's interesting and there's a lot of insights you can get from it that can be helpful, but the data set behind it, like there's only so many transactions within a month, Yeah. right? So when you're looking at like a region or a town, you know, four houses sold, like how good is that for data? Where the annual one I feel like is really useful and the comparison of years is like the sample size is like just so more useful than those granular ones. I really find it more helpful. Still, still waiting for that one suburb to have one sale of like at the mega mansion that was up on the hill, and it just have like the suburb growth be like one hundred and twenty percent, completely skew the data. Yeah, absolutely. So I tell you what, we're going to kick straight into this one. I'm going to jump into the core logic report here, and I'm going to go through the annuals because this is the one I think is is really fascinating. So overall, nationwide for 2022, the property market fell by 5.3%. That's like the nationwide, everything. Just throw it all in there. It doesn't matter. Cities, regional, houses, townhouses, apartments. If there was a transaction, that's how it happened. Yep. But when we break this down, when I go through it, we're going to do the states now. Sydney, down by 12.1%. Melbourne, down by 8.1%. Brisbane, down by one point one. That's a pretty noticeable difference right there. Yep. Here's the kicker, though. This is the one I love the most. Adelaide, up 10.1%. Adelaide. Did the heavy lifting. Did the the heavy lifting of 2022. Appreciate you, Radeladians. Perth, up 3.6%. 
I, I do love Perth. I'm very biased to Perth. Your I actually secretly real. want to live there, although it's not really a secret. So I was gonna, you, you've told everybody twice a day for the last year. Yeah, I, and the, <laughs> do you know what kills me? I actually have a house over there that I want to live in. Like I own it and I cannot go no live one, in it due to no other circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I could really. I'm putting the restriction on myself, but you Hayley, get the idea. You believe that you can. I, I sometimes look at the um, old listing photos and just imagine it. But anyway, I'll leave that where it is. <laughs> Draw the little Charlie in with a little dog and little Jack. Street view. <laughs> imagine. What- anyway, keep you this there. Go to the next one there. Hobart down 6.9%. Yep. Really fascinating because Hobart's come off a mega run. So that is quite a significant fall considering the uh, previous years. Darwin up 4.3%. So another one, I'm kind of finding this fast. I'll finish the last one and I'll come back to that point. And then Canberra down 3.3. So, I mean, pointing out Captain Obvious here, but the states did wildly different than each other. But more noticeably, it's like the Adelaide, Perth and Darwin, the smaller states, have really been very, very different here. And I know I'm saying states when they're, you know, cities I'm calling out, but it's it's very fascinating. And one more point I just wanted to make on this one, combined capital cities lost 6.9% and then the combined regionals were actually up 0.1%. So that was the year in property. I looked at this and I looked at that statistic between the regions and the cities, a little part of me, because I'm like, I believe the regions are where it's at. I believe that uh, the big C, we'll call it, pushed everyone out to the regions. Everyone, like what is it, fast-tracked a decade or two of work from homes and not needing to commute. I'm like, I feel wrapped. I'm so ecstatic that the regions had a win. And yes, personal bias because that's where all my investment properties are, Charlie. <laughs> wow, I wonder why you're happy with that result then. <laughs> I'm like, what do I do? I'm just looking for the data to support my confirmation bias. This is great. <laughs> That's what everyone does with the CoreLogic data. Uh, dude, I sit in here and I will even go on CoreLogic and Suburb Search just to see if I can like keep myself a little ego bump. Have you, have you ever – hey, wait, here we go. Have you ever jumped onto Google and searched for an SA3 to see if like the township that you bought in is in that SA3? I've never done that, Grant. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, woohoo, yes. No, it's, it's been a – and I, I know we've covered this on other episodes, but overall my portfolio was up about 10% for the year, which when you consider that the whole of the country was down 53 I'd have to say it's an outperforming year for you and I combined. And I know you're up about a similar market, yep. which I'll speak for both of us. Why not practically at this point? The thing you've kind of highlighted here that I find fascinating, and this is where a lot of conversation has been had, is like the regional versus city thing. So regionals have definitely done well in the recent years since the big C, which I like to believe I was the big C, but then (laughs) something happened, you know, pandemic type thing. It seems to have stolen my nickname. Anyway. That's fantastic. But I want to ask you a question around this. Do you think it will continue the the region still being on a run? Yeah. Like is this a time of like it's a change or is it a like what do they call it? It's like I'm trying to remember these. Is this just like it's a cycle, it happened, and then it's going to go back or is this a like permanent change? No, this, um, I believe that – and you can see it. There's a there's a graph on uh, in the report that I'm just going to pull up where it's got the comparison between the combined cities. 
to the combined regions as like Just an overall total. Hold up there, Cowboy. We better give some context to that. So Grant and I actually have the CoreLogic annual report up. You can yes. pick it up for free on CoreLogic's website. And um, it is something we both actually enjoy reading and talking about every month. We're going to make sure we do it on this roundup. Now on page three, Two. about halfway down, yep. there is a really interesting chart that goes over the regional versus capital cities performance over the last four years. Do you want to give some insight on that one? Yeah, so one of the interesting things that I found fascinating, so and this chart is a very short chart, like it's like what well, the last five years, give or take, um, where historically in 2017, 2018, probably all the way up until the start of 2021, what you would see is if a if the re, uh, the combined cities had a drop, the combined regions would have a drop, but like 50% of as much drop. And this Vice versa or vice versa, if the no, city- No, I love vice versa. Vici, vici no, versus no, dude, everyone wants vice versas. Uh, but then if the combined cities went on a tear, right, like up 4%, you would see the combined regionals would go up like 50% of what that was. So they'll go up 2%. All right, so let's use an example of this one. I think it'd be cool. We'll use a Melbourne example here. Let's so let's say there's Melbourne City, yep. right? So literally Melbourne 3000. And then there's, we'll just pick uh, what would be a regional like uh, Wangaratta. Love Wangaratta. Well, I actually really do love Wangaratta. I'm considering going and having a long weekend there, which is why it was on my mind. <laughs> but um, the point I'll make on that one, you're saying that in previous years to the big C, yep. not me, yep. right, there was about a 50% differential in swing. Totally. So when property prices went up and boomed, Melbourne City would go up 50% more, yep. but then in the decline would go down 50% more as well. Exactly. Where the change has been since, just, let's say, the year of 20 is that that's now in sync. The variance is like diminished and I can see it on the chart here. There is very little variance. It's almost one line. And that that was the the massive thing that I was like, oh, I I knew that regions had done well. And I'd seen the data and we've spoken about this in our analysis previously, but I hadn't actually thought about the layering between the combined cities and regions together. And so when I was looking at this report in preparation for the podcast, I'm like, holy smokes, like they literally map one-to-one over the last two years. So if the cities have gone up 5%, the regions have gone up 5%. If the cities have gone down 10%, the regions have gone down 10% as an example. Like literally the time might be slightly different, but the peaks and troughs are almost one-to-one. And I looked at that and I said, I never would have thought that they would have been so closely aligned, like like to the one, to the one. I definitely believed that regions were going to get closer to the cities just because tele, telecommute, like you don't have to come into the cities anymore. Uh, everyone wants the space, space for offices, space for dogs and all those kind of things. And I'm like, but I did not think that in such a short period of time they would get so close to being a one-to-one comparison. It's, it's a fascinating point and the one that I sit with the most and resonates with me when you mention this is the millennials having kids. Yeah. It's the idea that uh, for myself is certain types of accommodation are just no longer useful, right? It's like in, even to this now, the need, not desire, need for certain things has changed. Yep. Like if it's not, if uh, accommodation type isn't suitable for kids, I won't live in it. I feel very differently about stairs, very differently about stairs than I once did. (laughs) So no stairs means you need space. And to get space for an affordable price point, you can't be living in city areas. 
Well, it's just unaffordable. Yeah, so think about this. You might have, uh, in my area now, you might have two four-bedroom houses, for example, and I'm just using that because that would be a family-friendly house. If one is a double story and one is a single story, I'm way more biased in that direction now. Totally. So I look at it and say there's like even nuances to like homes that become interesting and the tendencies, and I say tendency, it's not always true, but it's like you look to the regions and because of the amount of space they have and the cost of land, there's more single-level houses. Totally. It's actually, um, and I noticed this like a lot when I went uh, for a visit a friend in, in Echuca, there's no double-story houses. It was all single-level. Same in Gippsland. It's all single level, like unless you start to get into like little town center, but that's a rarity, right? But then everybody appreciates the space. You know what? They play cricket in their own backyards, Charlie. <laughs> they don't go to the local park. Well, I, it's fascinating. Like I live in uh, Brighton in Victoria and there's a lot of double stories. Like everything's double story and there's even pushing on, what would you call it? Three levels? Tri-level? Tri. Tri-levels. Yeah, so the tendency of the accommodation type just becomes really fascinating. Uh, I'll share my uh, kind of look at it. When you when you really think about this, I believe this is a permanent shift. That was I really be, do. Yeah. I think that uh, Elon and Starlink has basically made the internet good everywhere. I think more and more work goes online. The millennials are having kids. Like I do not think that you can look at property in the same way as you did with such a like technology change and shift in what we do for work. Like I I really don't. And that's not to mean that, you know, being in the city doesn't have its value. It's just different now. Like there is no back in my view. Yeah. I'm also seeing a lot of spending going into these regional towns to make them more city-like. They're like, oh, I went to Geelong and <laughs> like this place is its own central business district to the point that it's got most things that Melbourne has. <laughs> I'm like, you could totally enjoy living in these outer areas with the same level of living that you would in a CBD of entertainment, going out. Do they have theatres? They've got all these things. And I'm like, it's just a matter of time until people just look at them as their own sort of what, like satellite cities, kind of what you see in Asia, right, where people that, just- That's the exact transition. Yep. That's what I mean. It's no longer regional. It's like, what do they call it? Major regional. Major. Or, uh, it, <laughs> oh, it's completely changed. It's even the way we think about it. Like you would not think about, uh, well, let's use another example here. Like what's a small, like Echuca is, mm. is a real regional town. I would say that it's quite small in comparison to Geelong. Right, so there's a new category emerged in the way we even think about it. Do you reckon that will split it out so it won't be like cities and regions? Do you reckon there'll be like a third one? Well, don't they say rural is the other one? Yeah, well, potentially. But not and then there'll this. be major rural soon. Well, you won't see subcategories. And then you see like this combined cities, co- combined regions, co- regional combined rural. <laughs> and then you'll really see the stats because to that point, like you're getting some really large non-cities cities. <laughs> Like do you think that just because regionals start doing well in our speculation here that it actually means the demise of the capital cities though? Because what I find when this topic gets brought up is it almost turns into a versus and I just don't feel that way. Like it's yeah. like the regionals can do well and the cities can do well in my view. I'm going sh- to share with you a, a bit of a story that I fell off my chair. So we had Christmas recently, which I don't know if you remember. Um and do I remember? I was like, itching to do a podcast. <laughs> so we tried to record on Christmas Day. 
Um, I was talking to my brother. So he got a new job and he's he's a tech guy, right? So he's in the technology space. The interesting thing with the company, I won't name the company's name. Uh, so he works with a business where everyone can work at home. And these people have got like thousands of employees. Dude, they have offices in Noosa, New Zealand, Magnetic Island. Wow. Because they have found that when people go on holidays, they actually wanted to extend their holidays from like one weekend or one week to like four weeks. And so they actually went and opened basically these serviced offices in all of these different areas so that people can work whilst they're away. And so now my brother's like, do I just move to Noosa? Do I just move? Do I do a stint in New Zealand? And I look at this and I'm like, is this the way that working is going where it's just like, great, as long as you have good good way to work, then go and work wherever you want. And so these if, regions- If the employees want that, how does this not become, like you've got government spending, employees wanting it, technology yep. shift. Like, oh, I know we could keep banging on about this, but it's it just seems so obvious to me that this is where it's going. So- and I will, I concur with your point. So my closing two points are that I think that that will stay very close to a one-to-one. Maybe cities might still be like a point-one difference, but I, I think that they're going to trend one-to-one. Um, and to that other point, I actually think that this data will go into a third layer. I reckon in the future we'll see a, a third layer. I just don't think it's going to be cities and regions. I think it'll be cities, regions, and rurals. I think you're going to have to. I think that. it's going to change. I really to. think the way we interpret it is going to change. Like once upon a time, it's like there was only Sydney and Melbourne. And do you feel like people start feeling like Brisbane's a major city now? See, it's like you know, it's got a global airport grant. Well, this so this was one of the things. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna steal the next point. Uh, so I was looking through the immigration information that they were had in uh, Core Logic. I can't remember what page it is on, which is fine. And they were talking about how historically two thirds of immigration led to Melbourne and Sydney. And my question was with the run of regional. And the ability for people to work from home and do all of these things. I'm like, maybe this is just different now. Maybe it's not going to be a, a two-thirds going to Melbourne and Sydney. Maybe. I'm going to call it. I think Perth is the more attractive offer. Dude. Strong jobs, cheaper housing, a lot yep. of like surplus budget and investment. But you think, you think about if it, they're coming from Asia, weather's very similar as well. The appeal is there. Yeah, good weather. Um, uh, do you know what? As we do this podcast even more, I'm like, let's just move to Perth. Great. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, but I was I, I was taken aback on that. Going, <clears throat> this is this is the potential for a decent change where it's not you're not forced into the same spot for study, work, etc. Like it's it's this support thing where I think it's just to your point, it's going to be fundamentally different where the appeal is going elsewhere. Agreed. I'm going to jump points here because we're yep. already running long on this episode, <laughs> and not that I'm not enjoying these points, but uh, we we can get a bit ranty here. So next point I'm looking at here, and I've, I I. I liked this chart because it backed up what I saw. I won't lie. I went hunting for this one. But uh, if you look at this one here, and I'm going to read it out quickly, is like annual change in rents, right? So this is how much are rents going up per year. And the chart basically goes that in December 20, rents fell. They did. And then they've screamed up from here. Now, I'm not going to go through each of them one by one because it's quite a few to read out. But I'm going to say on average, rents have gone up in each state over 10%. And if you go to some of the hotter locations, you're talking like 15% plus. Yeah. Right? There is actually no state, whether it's houses or units, where rents haven't gone up substantially in the last 12, uh, in the last 12 months. Yep. I don't think anyone's surprised by that at all. What 
I will go a level deeper though is like within my own portfolio and I'm literally scanning, um, jumping into my own sheet here, um, rents in my own portfolio near up near like I'm going to say it was like quite substantial where it was like average across it is now 15%. Increases of 15% across Yeah, so we actually had some that went up near 20%. Yeah, wow. So it's just been a really crazy run. So for the investors that have been in the game a while, so imagine you bought all these properties like five years ago and then you've had small rental increases compounded, still in a positive way, but then that is just screened up across the country is just like I think that's just going to be like a standout year we look at. We really look at it and go, wow, that was a like dramatic shift in things. I, I concur. So mine didn't go up 15%. I wish they did. I was quite aggressive on my rents and so they were quite expensive anyway <laughs> because like, everyone wanted them and I'm like, cool, we'll just increase the price. And so I I, I, miss, I think it would have been about a 5%-ish. So we didn't have huge increases, but we've still got people who are about to sort of rotate out start of this year. Um, well, most notably, I'll, I'll go even further on that. The Queensland regional properties we have, or sorry, major regionals, not regional, there's a difference. <laughs> uh, it's already started. Yeah, so we'll say within proximity to Brisbane, yep. like around that that whole area. Though Queensland's very spread out. Just crazy, like really just crazy, the rental demand there. Now, um, what again I find really interesting on this is it might be for an interesting idea for rents to go up so substantially for one year. But in the wake of everything that's gone on, is is this sustainable? I very much toss up between two things here is like, I don't think you can keep putting up rents 15% a year before something breaks. Like eventually the market is like, well, I just don't have the money to pay this. Yep. However, you've also got not enough dwellings being built and immigration. So demand is going to be high. So I'm going to be very curious how this one plays out. Are we going to see – I can see vacancies still being tight. I really can. But I'm not sure rents keep going up in the same way they have been. I also look at it from the other side, right? Because property investors, uh, we're, we're not – how do I put it? We're not a charitable bunch. Like We're not going to just like give people a discount on rents because we're nice human beings. We will always make it market rates. And I just look at the other side of the supply and demand – 50-50 and I just go, well, consumers are just going to have to move elsewhere. They're going to have to go and find where the availability is. Interesting. So you, your belief is let's say someone was living in Rose Bay in yep. Sydney. I know it was a, quite an expensive area to rent. Yep. Um, and you're saying, well, rents have gone up and do you know what? I can't afford to live here anymore. I'm going to go move into a, a, I don't know, well, let's say the Blue Mountains, which would be cheaper. Even apply a second thing. So I've looked at renting in Rose Bay when I was living between Rose Bay and, and Bondi. Dude, there's nothing to rent. And so you got no choice but to go elsewhere. And it's not because of you don't want it. Like we could even afford it. It's like we're willing to pay a premium to live in Rose Bay. There was nothing available. And so the choice was you just have to go elsewhere. <laughs> like it's just there is like you just don't have any other choices anymore. And so I look at that and I just go, well, I'm like, and I'll articulate this via a question. Like, would you be that uh, you're a super nice guy and I love you to death? Would you just go and stop increasing your rents for the next two, three years just to be a nice guy and make sure that people have places to stay when everyone else around you is increasing? I kind of view that differently. I look at this and say it's all meant to go up. Like in economics, like rents are supposed to go up, wages are supposed to go up. Like that's what the system does. Mm-hmm. Like, 
by its very design, there's a propensity. Like the inflation is real, growth, like it's all part of it. Like you only have to look at history to see that. Yeah. And so to that point, I just sit there and I say, I think I agree that they won't keep going double digits on growth. Like they're not going to go double digit percentage on growth year on year on year. But the way that it will equal itself out is when there is zero supply because it's either it's just it's priced perfectly for people to be able to pay for it and they go, cool, I'm happy. And then everyone else goes, I want to get in, but I can't, so I have to move elsewhere. Or it becomes too expensive where a suburb or two down the road is just like, hey, like I'll just pay 100 bucks less and I'll just drive the extra five kilometers is fine. And that's where that equilibrium, which is then another reason why I think that some of these outer sort of regional areas will also continue to rise because there's no availability in some of these, to your point, major regions. Like there's nothing. <laughs> and so you just go, well, there's your natural. Like the, the, the course and the order of the world will just align itself. I'm going to put a speculation on this, and I, I love that this episode is both turning into us interpreting this report and then putting wild speculations in there <laughs> that are not financial advice. Definitely. That was a disclaimer. If, if rents keep going up substantially, like let's pretend they go up 10% a year from here, <laughs> there's going to hit a point where that just becomes so attractive to build dwellings, and I think there's going to be a builder and developer like Rampage. They're going to start looking at this and saying, that development I said I wasn't going to do because, you know, Building costs have gone up so much. Starting to look pretty pretty juicy. Totally. You'll start seeing apartment buildings going up in like these regional areas that you never would have thought. I, I remember I went, I went to my parents' house and they're in Gippsland. Dude, in the middle of Gippsland, there are freaking apartment buildings. Where no way. Are, dude, there's an apartment building in like – so my parents live uh, kind of near Warrigal. And like I went into Warrigal, dude, there's an apartment building. It's not very tall. Like it's like six or, or, or I just so wouldn't story. have expected that. I can <laughs> see this, units or some this, townhouses. That's what I'm like. I'm like, what? And that's what I think you're going to start seeing because it's going to become more affordable. It's going to become a smaller sort of floor plan. But to your point, developments. So you'll see your duplex go up. You'll see all of these things. And it's like, cool, thanks for coming. You wait and see. There'll be government changes on what can be built where as the demand for new dwellings comes totally. into more as it gets tighter they'll loosen the rules totally and you can already see where this has happened in like south yarra in victoria right those rules got a bit loosey loosey in this apartment um so south yarra is a great example it is just oversupply but that's what'll happen because they have to make it so that how do you build one thing and fit many in but they'll just go out because there's not as much land in cities anyway i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> interesting <laughs> all right should we jump into the next point here let's do it all right, so we've had a good look at the uh, core logic report and just some things we find fascinating and up for discussion. You can grab a copy of that if you head to Core Logic's website. We might even put a link in, but honestly, just Google Core Logic. You'll find it. You'll find it. So this looks a bit different, and uh, I'm thrilled we're covering something different because a lot of property shows just tend to cover the Core Logic stuff. Um, Howard Marks, who is an investor, you and I both, well, how can I say, fanboy? I'm just going to put it out there, Charlie. If Howard Marks listens to this, I just want him to know that I'm available for adoption and I'm more than happy to, to become Grant Marks. Just I'll second that. I'll actually second that. I'm not even disagreeing. <laughs> He's one of these like really deep thinkers. He's yeah. I'll put the thing I find most fascinating is Warren Buffett is quoted is saying that when Howard Marks releases a memo, he stops what he's doing to go read it. Yes. And I just go, wow. And like Howard is obviously a billionaire in his own right and done some crazy impressive things. Um, but what I really appreciate is these memos and what goes into it. 
So uh, again, he releases uh, regular. He calls it a memo, but really, it's a um, like a blog post. Would you call it? Yeah, it's like a blog post. A really long blog post. Yeah, a long article, and then they also turn into a podcast now as well. Yeah. So, which is awesome. So, a really good podcast to uh, listen to if you want to hear about things going on, particularly in the US, but the world in general. And it's we'll a bit link of, to it. Yeah, we'll link to it. Now, Howard uh, released this memo in December called The Sea Change. Love the name. Great name. And uh, for clarification, why it's called The Sea Change is he believes an event has gone on that isn't like a month-to-month change or a year-to-year change. His view is that there's been a complete shift in mentality of investors and this warrants more substantial thinking. And he made this chart, and I'm gonna, I'm actually going to take the time to read out the chart because I think it's really good. Or it's more of a table than a chart. Table. But he basically examines uh, 2009 to 2021, which how many years is that? Like 12 years? 12, yep. Yeah, so it's 12 years, and then he talks about today, right? So this is the dip, let's just call it post-21. So he uh, highlights Fed behaviour, which would be equivalent of RBA behaviour, and we probably think about both. He goes from 2009 to 2021, highly stimulative, low rates, printing money. Yep. Today, tightening. So it's a different Fed. The next one, inflation, 2009 to 2021, dormant. Today, 40-year high. So he's highlighted two really big differences. Next one, economic outlook. And this is where he's kind of like surveyed or looked at general view. He's going, well, it was positive from 2009 to 2021, bulls, very positive outlook. Today, the majority think a recession is likely and yep. coming. Likelihood of a distress, 2009 to 2021, minimal because people can always just borrow money cheaply. Yep. Today, significantly rising as many companies are trying to access things or access credit really, but that's a future point. Mood. Like, what's the mood of the investing community? I'd love to know how he quantified this, but in general, he believed from 2009 to 2021 it was optimistic, where his view today is that it's guarded. And I will say the access Howard would have to people to quantify this be would be immense. Yeah, yeah, I don't maybe. think he's guessing. I really don't. I think he's talking to people that would be able to help quantify this before he's published it. He even mentions in his memo that he talks to their own investors to validate his points on his memos before he even comes out with them. So he's got a huge base on this. There you go. Next one on the list, buyers. So this is investors. Eager, like, and I would concur, you only have to look at the housing market to like how eager people were to today is hesitant. Yep. So very much a shift in in buyers. Holders, complacent. I love this one. I think like people who are holding assets, how are they behaving? Like things can't go wrong. Where today people are uncertain and questioning, should they sell things? Yep. Key worry in 2009 to 2021, and I'm laughing as I see this, the key laugh, the key worry of, of investors in 2009 to 2021, FOMO. Fear of missing out. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you feel that at all, Grant? Never. No, not at all. Don't I nearly bought a house with illegal renovations because I was worried someone else would buy it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've got to secure this now. Let's do it. And then like today, investment losses. People are concerned they're going to buy things that go down in value. That is such a huge difference. Uh, risk aversion, absent. You only have to look to crypto. Oh, my gosh. It was like. That what, what? FTX saga, you look at how many like 
how many big name investors ended up investing in S- in FTX and didn't do the due diligence? But you can even go back to like ICOs, like initial coin offerings in crypto, NFTs. Like you had so much where people just their risk was completely absent. I think absent's the best word. <laughs> completely. What about today? Rising. People are risk adverse. Yep. Credit window, which uh, I believe is the idea of like um, rolling over bonds and doing things so that you can access finance or refinance thing. Uh, so it used to be wide open. The window to get credit was wide open, where today it's becoming more constricted. Yep. And do you know what's fascinating? In uh, business, I've particularly noticed this with like the open pays and after pays and things like that, really changing their lending policy of like how much they're even lending out now. Very fascinating one. Financing, plentiful. And I would concur, it was very easy to get money. I can't believe how many times I was able to go to a bank in the last few years. So before 21 rates started going up and they would just say, yeah, have another million. It's like ridiculous. Try to force it it down your throat. Just take take more money. Borrow as much as you want where today it's scarce. It's much harder to access financing. And your experience in the SaaS world would highlight this as well. I know you've mentioned many times how many uh, tech companies you know that just can't get money like they could anymore. Even even to that point, like I'm going through a refinancing now. Dude, refinancing used to take me a couple of weeks. Now it takes me months. (laughs) Next one here, yield spreads. Uh, Well, previously they were modest where now they're normal. Now I won't pretend I understand yield spreads uh, hugely here, but my – uh, interpretation is the difference between like borrowing money for one year versus 10 years. Yep. Where it used to be all very, very low. You could get a one-year bond and a 10-year bond near the same rate where now that spread is very different. And then uh, prospective returns, uh, lowest ever versus uh, more than ample. And that last one, again, I'm just going to drop off the list, but what a list. Can you Can you just do interest rates as well? Um, my bad. I skipped probably the most important one in here. <laughs> Interest rates, lowest ever from 2009 to 2021, where today, and I love the framing on this, more normal. He views today's rates as normal. Isn't that interesting? So as you went through this memo, Grant, and just the differences, and I I love the way he's framed this whole thing up, what struck for you? The fear is real. (laughs) It's like totally, I'm like, get out of my head, Howard. Like this is... Everything that I think about and a lot of people that I talk to are investing, like these words are exactly the buzzwords that they've spoken about. Like, ah, how are you going with looking to get more properties? Our financing is just very difficult for us to get. And I'm like, oh, like it, it's like scarce, right? And so it's really just a mimic of what I see and what I felt immediately on the current times. And I think that was one of the biggest points that I took away from this when I was reading this list and I'm just like, Howard, you know me way too well. That- yeah, t- totally right. Howard, you put into words what I am feeling and what I am seeing other people feel right now. Uh, yeah, and I, to the point that I actually saved this as a bit of a checklist to do like a personal audit of myself. So it's for me, like when I am looking to go buy it, like a new investment or something like that, I'm actually going to work through and I'm like, how do I feel about these things? Because I think it's such a good list. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this, is, this is actually great because it's such a good audit because you look at the top like eight which is like um the fed behavior or rba behavior inflation mood buyers holders etc and i'm like that's all very negative 
But he goes on to the end to say, like, well, interest rates are normal and, like, there's actually some opportunities out there. And I'm like, isn't that fascinating that he's sitting there going, well, all of these things are happening, but this is actually a new environment, but the game has just changed. Yeah, he did an excellent job of highlighting how many different areas there are change. Like, it's not just that interest rates have gone up. Like, it's that interest rates have gone up. There's inflation. There's economic outlook. There's Fed behavior. There's mood. It's the what people are doing with holding assets. Like, it's all these things coming together to drive that uncertainty in the market. Is, was there anything on this list that you thought you would include that would have been it's the same? No. That was that I was looking at this list going, aren't anything very close? And I'm like, no, they're almost polar opposites in most scenarios. And I'm like, is there has this list been sort of structured this way? I'm like, no, it has like this is everything is just different now. Like it's not like there's similarities between it. And that was why I thought the the theme of the whole memo, which was called to your point, sea change, was so perfect because it is a it's not you are packing up the kids and family and moving to a completely different location, different schools, different work, different everything, and that is what it is. I think of this like the internet, and let me tell you why. When the internet was introduced, it was a moment in time where like the world changed, and maybe not for the first few years, but when it really started ramping up, we shifted from things like the yellow pages became Google. Like it's not going back. It's like it was a sea change. I view what is in this in kind of the same light here. This is where we look at this and noting these things can change again. But my view and opinion on this is we're now entering a new era. And that's why we're seeing things like the major regionals. Boom. Like that's a part of where this is now striking it. I think we're also seeing that um, because of this change, it's caused very interesting behavior in some investors. And that might actually be your opportunity. So for people that aren't willing to accept the internet using this analogy, like how many people were like, oh, the internet's not going to make a difference. I'm not going to get on board early. Who later then kicked themselves because they were like, oh, I had the opportunity to buy that domain, be the first company to do the online thing. Like there was was many. Um, Where I look at this now and go, if you were to take this list seriously and ask yourself the question, if these changes and sea change was to occur – what happens to the property industry? Yep. Where would I want to position myself to be most successful with it? And I think that is a fantastic question for people to be asking. I really do. Yeah, because it's like if you to look at the sea change, it's like the investors have got two different choices. It's like are you going to play extremely defensive and wait for the environment to change, keep buying your yellow pages ads to use your <laughs> analogy and just wait it out and just be like, oh, well, all these other people might just lose their house or maybe I'll just get in. Or you have the second choice, which is playing offense and looking for the strategies or the assets or the best way to to work for you or what are the right assets for you in this situation. And I think it's it's so unique because every investor has their own situation. What might work for you, Charlie, is not going to work for me. Different incomes, different personal situations, different everything. It's like how are the investors or how are people going to interpret this for themselves? Has it changed anything for you? It was it was an eye opener on my personal feelings that I thought that I like I knew that they were there, but he articulated it so well, but it hadn't changed anything for me. I'm like, this is very different now. Like you and I have been speaking probably the last a couple of months ish 
around like what is going to be sort of the next change that's coming in the property space. And this just articulated exactly what you and I were talking about very well. All right, I'm going to throw some speculations on this, right? Keep oh, my yes. team in. It's my Why not, right? I'm feeling speculative today. Maybe disclaimer, too many disclaimer, cups of disclaimer. coffee. Disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer. Not financial advice. Speculation. All right, so for me personally, I'm actually changing the amount of debt I use. I used to be higher in the amount of LVRs I would run where I've since reduced that down. I'm going to keep that there. I think in this environment, higher amounts of debt enhance the risk. They, they really do. So I'm, I'm being more cautious on that. I also think that in this environment, the um, more affordable markets st- stand to benefit the most. Yep. They, they really do. But this is where I think I'm a little bit different than others. If you're playing a long-term game, as this kind of unfolds, it's going to be the premium suburbs that take the biggest hit and may actually open buying opportunities. Totally. So I think you really, while the more affordable areas might do well in the next, let's say, one to three years, there might be some absolute bargains that end up popping up in these more expensive areas as there is more financial duress. But you have to be in a position to stomach that if you are going to be getting into a bit more of a, uh, let's just say, more buying opportunity on that. You have to be able to like zoom out and play a longer game. I love it because it's so different to my approach, which is, which is awesome, but we're at very different stages of our investment journeys. So I'm still looking to build my, call it, I don't know, like foundational strategy, my foundational portfolio, we'll call it. I can't right. believe you're even calling it that. You're part, well past no, the not, foundational not. portfolio, but let's roll with it. Why not? <laughs> Stage two of it, where I'm, I'm going. I'm, I would like more debt because my debt compared to the income that I earn is just, in my opinion, is just too low. I'm like, I, I think having more debt will help me out. Having more assets will actually, in the long term, be a better outcome for me. The difference in what I'm doing now is looking at this change that's happened. Is I I'm going to call it, Charlie. I don't think that there are as many cash flow positive, good A-grade investment properties available anymore. And maybe that is the change. And maybe I should be looking at more growth-based. Maybe I should be looking at more multifamily. Maybe I should be looking at a way to play this, noting that the way I used to play it, which was I just want a cash flow positive portfolio, is going to be different. I think everyone's chasing that at the moment, right? If everyone's chasing cash flow positive properties, then the price of them goes up, which reduces the cash flow of the property. Yep. Which doesn't make it a cash flow property. Exactly, because everyone's because now everyone's trying to fight this increased interest rate. It's like, well, if everyone's going for the same thing, they're just there's just not going to be as many over there. And everyone's just totally. fighting for the scraps. So it's like, where are the scraps not located? And that's kind of what I'm looking for now. Because I'm just about to start looking to buy properties to continue growing the portfolio. And that's what I'm on the hunt for. Yeah, I should also mention that I am running like probably be near $4 million in debt right now. Yep. So when I say reducing debt, it's kind of in the context of that level. And my, my LVR is in a, what I would call healthy place. So totally. different stages. Yeah, where I'm like over a million a bit and my LVRs are in a great spot and I'm just like, this is- Want to load it up. Yeah, cash is, I've got cash for opportunities and I think that opportunities are going to pop up there. Yeah, and I'll, it's not stopping me from investing. I will really reference that. I don't want to come across as a bear. But, man, what a memo <laughs> and how it's been turned in. I think we wrap this one up. Happy with that? I'm happy Love with it. that. Awesome. 
for everyone who's listening to this, if you sit there and say, you know what, I've got some more insights or what have you taken away from Howard Marks memos after you listen to it or even your core logic report, head over and reply to one of Charlie's infamous emails. And if you're not on the email list, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter and put in your details because I'm actually curious as to what other people have taken away from it, Charlie, because everyone interprets these things very differently based on where they are, their knowledge level, etc. And I just find it interesting and it helps me with everything I do as well. I just want to say thank you very much and we look forward to joining you and catching you on the next episode of Property and Investing.